How many of us have made a bad choice? All of us, right? I mean, I could say how many of you have made a bad choice this year, this month, this week, maybe even already today, and we would all say, yeah, I've made some bad choices. Now, some of these bad choices might have been life-altering, and some of them might have been insignificant. Some of them might be as small as having that extra donut. But like having that extra donut, even those small, insignificant choices, if you keep making the wrong ones again and again and again, they accumulate, right? And just like making the wrong choice to eat the extra donut accumulates pounds, which leads to an unhealthy lifestyle, all of these decisions, the big and the small, they accumulate to make up the life that we live today. Where you're at today, your health today, your job today, the people that are around you today, all of it is the accumulation of decisions you have made and that the decisions of people around you have made. And there's a problem with all of these decisions that accumulate and add up to give us the lives that we live today. The problem is that we make most of them. We are making the decisions and we've just confessed that we make poor decisions sometimes. We make bad choices. When you look back, you can say, yeah, that was, that was the wrong choice that I made. Two weeks ago, I told you that when Jesus arrived, it was in a dark place and in a dark day. And I talked about how he was hope in dark places and in dark days. And today, I want to kind of look back at what led them to that point. What made everything so dark and drear when Jesus arrives? I want to go back to the final king of Judah and the decisions that he made that kind of set up this dark period of time with no more powerful leaders for the nation of Israel. And, and by the way, this year we have talked a lot about this time period in the Bible because it is so applicable to what we're in right now. We've talked about the exile of the people, them being carried off as captives because it's fertile ground for us to learn lessons in the middle of hardship. But this is a really convoluted period of history. I mean, think about if someone tried to write a book about 2020. Think about all of the different perspectives, all of the different factors that they would have to get. I mean, you know that if you just look at one source of news information, that there's going to be a, a bias or a span. And to, to get a full perspective on everything that's going on, you really need to, to get a, a multitude of perspectives. And, and if, it was, if you were just looking at, at how this is affecting people in New York, that's very different from how it's affecting people in Chandler, Indiana, or Arizona, or Michigan. And so the story that I'm, gonna, that I'm gonna talk about and the stories that we've been talking about in this exile period, they're, they're from several different perspectives. We're gonna look at passages from Jeremiah, but it's based on, on history that we know happened from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. So this is a really complicated period of time, just like today is a really complicated period of time. But when we look into these complicated histories, there's some really important and powerful lessons to be learned. And when you look back at 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings and you look back at Jeremiah, you have the final days of Judah. And Judah has three final kings that Jeremiah is a, uh, an advisor to. And the first of these kings, he, he rebels against Babylon. Babylon overtakes them. He thinks that if I fight 
put my trust in the Egyptians. And then his son, Jehoiachin, is put in in his place. And so it's Jehoiakim, then it's Jehoiachin. And Jehoiachin is only king for like three months. And he makes the same mistake that his dad did. And so Nebuchadnezzar conquers him and takes him back to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar blinds him and holds him in chains for the rest of his life. Nebuchadnezzar was this hugely powerful king. He was so powerful that he had a collection of, of, of gods and kings. When he would go and he would conquer a land, he would take their gods, their idols, back so that he could display them and he'd say, look at all of these gods I have conquered. And he'd do the same thing with kings. And so Jehoiachin has been taken back and he's a part of, of the collection of kings that Babylon, the Babylonians have conquered. That Nebuchadnezzar can say, look at all of these kings in my, my prison, in my dungeon that I've conquered. And so then Nebuchadnezzar puts Zedekiah in the place of power. He's a king in Judah, but he's only king because Nebuchadnezzar has given him the opportunity to be king. And Jeremiah is the prophet who's advised all three of these kings. And Zedekiah has watched his brother, the first king, be conquered. He's watched that king's son, his nephew, be conquered. And now he is king, and he has to pay tribute to the Babylonians. He has to remain an ally to the Babylonians. And he, he's tempted to make the same mistake that both his brother and his nephew have made. Jeremiah is telling him, don't do it. You can't overcome the Babylonians. God is allowing us to suffer greatly because of the sins of the people. You see, this, this thing would constantly happen among the Israelite people. They would look around at the, the nations around them, and the nations around them had no rules. You could do whatever you wanted as long as you offered sacrifices to idols. And so it's tempting to be in a, in a culture with no rules and no laws. God doesn't go for that. And what happened in every one of those cultures is the people on the margins, the people on the poor suffered. God hates injustice. And so he writes through Jeremiah about the injustice that people are suffering. And he says, I'm going to bring punishment upon the people. And so it's happened to his brother. It's happened to his nephew. The Babylonians have conquered them every time. But now Zedekiah thinks it'll be different for me. If I join up with the Egyptians like they did, this time it's going to be different and we will be able to conquer the Babylonians. And like we talked about last week, Pastor Eric shared with us that there were false prophets who were telling the people what they wanted to hear. They were telling the people, listen, God is going to give us victory. We, God is going to give us, the, the he's going to champion us. He's going to give us power over the Babylonians. We're going to have the Egyptians on our side. And so there's prophets that are telling people what they want to hear. And in a time of uncertainty and a time of difficulty and adversity like this was for Israel, that's an incredibly popular message. And so Zedekiah chooses to listen to those advisors instead of Jeremiah, even though he's watched his brother and his nephew fail to listen to Jeremiah, even though he's watched them be conquered, he thinks it's going to be different this time, right? And most of us, we have these moments where, yeah, that hasn't worked out for so-and-so, and, and, it, and it wasn't a good thing for them, and, and, and that led to a, heart, a lot of heartache when they did it, but I'm different, right? We often, especially with the younger we are, we think, I'm special. It, it'll be different this time. It'll be different for me. Yeah, that's what happened to everybody else, but they're not me, and it's going to be different for me. And when we think that we're special, Really, we're just a special kind of stupid because we think, oh, the rules don't apply to me. And that's what Zedekiah did. 
He made the choice. The same choice that everyone else had made. He, he broke his league with the Babylonians. He, he made an alliance with the Egyptians. And it would end exactly the same way. Zedekiah did exactly what many of us do. How many of you have made a bad decision after saying, it'll be different this time? He's changed. She's changed. It'll be different this time. It was during the last couple of years of Zedekiah's reign, when the Babylonians had come and they had surrounded the city. They'd come and they decided they were going to starve the people out. And Jeremiah has continued to proclaim the same message, like God is not coming to save the day. He is going to allow us to face the punishment for our sins. And they throw Jeremiah down into a cistern. They throw him into like a well and they put a lid over it. They can't shut him up, so they, they kind of seal him down there. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. So they literally throw him down a well. And every so often, they would lift the lid and they would feed him. And every so often, Zedekiah would come and he would talk to Jeremiah because he hoped that Jeremiah would have a different message to share. But Jeremiah kept telling him the same truth from God. God is not going to honor your wickedness. You are going to have to pay punishment for your sins. Now, it was, while all of this is going on, while Zedekiah is making poor decisions, as Jeremiah has watched king after king ignore his instructions, after he's watched the people ignore his counsel, Jeremiah writes the word of the Lord that we have in chapter 17. And Jeremiah 17 um, gives us a really um, perceptive look at what the real issue is here. All right? So Jeremiah 17 and verse 5 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. He says those who put their trust in men, like Zedekiah is putting his trust in the Egyptians, those who put their trust in men, they will be disappointed. And they will be like shrubs in the desert that wither and die and don't make it. They don't live to see when the rain comes. But in contrast, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes. He says, if you trust in the Lord, when the difficult times come, you're like a tree planted by rivers of water, that even when the famine comes, even when the rain stops, you have a source of water. You don't have to worry when difficult times come because you're plugged in to something that is long-lasting because you're trusting in God. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. Now, what Jeremiah has just laid out seems really obvious. Like, you trust in man, it leads you down this path. You trust in God, it leads you down this path. So why would anybody make this mistake? Why would people constantly trust in men rather than in God? And Jeremiah gets to it here in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can
can know it. Jeremiah tells us here that the reason we constantly make these type of decisions is because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And I can just imagine Jeremiah writing these words of the Lord, speaking these words of the Lord in his message, in his prophecy, that when he repeats this, which has been handed to him from the Lord, that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful. I can just imagine Jeremiah going, man, don't I know that's true? Don't I know that's true? I have watched these kings time and time again do the wrong thing because they are fooled by their own hearts. I mean, have you ever said to yourself, like, I just don't understand people. Like, what is the deal with people? Uh, This past week, uh, there was a a post that went kind of viral in Evansville. One of our Evansville police officers posted a photo of something that had been listed for sale in a local uh, used uh, goods uh, for sale group. And in that picture, there, was, there, was, there were toys that were for sale, and those were the toys that the Evansville police officers had given away this past week in their toy drive, giving toys to the needy. And so this police officer had spent the morning out in the cold handing out these toys in this drive-through toy giveaway, and then he looks on Facebook and hears someone is listing one of those toys for sale. And in his post, he just, he said, say it ain't so. And it reminded me of something my dad used to say to me when I was a kid and I would do something foolish or I would do something disrespectful. He would say, tell me you did not really just do that. Tell me you did not really just do that. In other words, like, I must be confused because what you did makes no sense. I'm sure that's how Jeremiah felt. Watching this third king make the same mistake that the previous two had. So Jeremiah goes, yeah. The heart is clearly deceitful and desperately wicked. And then he says, who can know it? The heart is like this, who can know it? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not usually the kind of person that I want to pay people to stick me with needles and shoot radiation microwaves at me and tell me what I can and cannot do. That's not like, that's not a fun day to me. But this past summer, when I collapsed and I could not get my legs to work, I was willing to pay people to stick me with needles, draw my blood, and put me in an MRI machine to figure out what was going on with me. And if you've ever been in one of those situations where something's wrong and you can't figure it out, you're willing to to get some help. Maybe for you recently, there's been something up with your car. You can't figure out what's wrong with your car, so you pay a mechanic to figure out what's wrong with your car. When you can't figure out what's going on, you look for someone who can tell you what's up. And Jeremiah says here, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can fix our hearts? Who can make this right? Thankfully, Jeremiah doesn't stop in verse 9. He goes on to say in verse 10, he's quoting the Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Oh, good. God can tell us what's wrong. God understands us. He can see what's in us. He understands what's broken within us. Great. And the rest of verse 10 says, 
according, and even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Oh, well, never mind, God. God can see what's wrong with me, and he can see that so that he can give me what I deserve. And that is scary. That's not good news. The fact that God can see what is broken in us and can give us what we deserve, that's not good news. You know, after I went to the doctor and they did all those tests, I had follow-ups with specialists, finally figured out that I have Graves' disease. And Graves' disease means that my thyroid um, is hyperactive. Um, And when the doctor told me that, I said, oh, okay, so that means my thyroid isn't doing what it needs to and it's causing me to put on weight. And he said, no, well, actually, your thyroid is going overboard, so you, it should have caused you to lose a lot of weight. Have you lost a good bit of weight recently? And I said, no, I have not. He said, well, we're going to need to give you some medicine to slow it down, and that'll probably cause you to gain more weight. That was not the news I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear he was going to give me medicine to make things work in the opposite direction. Now, thankfully, it was not a serious condition. It can be treated with medicine, hopefully. Um, My life's not in danger. They've kind of figured out what's going on. But I was hoping for some better news than, hey, yeah, you are going to, you're going to gain more weight. Jeremiah says here, the Lord knows our heart and he knows our heart so that he can give us what we deserve. That's, That's not great news. That's what was happening to the Jewish people. They were, they were experiencing hardship. They were experiencing hardship because they, as a nation, had turned from God and they had gone after other gods because those other gods didn't have rules. They didn't want to obey God's rules. They didn't want to be holy like God asked them to be holy. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. They wanted to take advantage of one another. And Zedekiah, he, he does the same thing. He makes the same poor choices that those before him have made, and it leads into this dark and dreary period in Israel's history. There's never another king. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. There's never another really powerful leader. They would come, and they would rebuild the walls, and they would rebuild the city, and they would rebuild the temple, but it would never be restored to what it was. There would be this ongoing period of darkness for hundreds of years. And then even the prophets would stop giving the revelation of the word of God, and so there would be 400 years of this quiet from the Lord. But then, 600 years after the final king of Judah, 400 years after God's final words of prophecy, there are some shepherds, in the countryside, on the backside of nowhere. And suddenly an angel is in the sky and he's speaking to them. And among many things, he says what Luke 2.11 tells us. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now probably for most people, when they heard the term Savior, they heard the next king of Judah. 
It's been 600 years since we've had a king of Judah, but now a new king has been set. Finally, we're going to have another king who is here to save us from the bad guys. He's going to save us from the Romans. He's going to save us out of our poverty. He's going to save us out of our anarchy. He's going to save us out of this, this cultural malaise. He's going to save us. He's going to restore the goodness of Israel. But that's not what God was about. If God wanted a revolution, he would have sent armies. God didn't want a revolution. He wanted a revival. And so because he wanted a revival, he sent a baby. You see, God would repeal the darkness of the world by starting with the darkness in our hearts. I want a revolution. I want for things to be changed we want revolutions. We want God to come in power and make everything like it ought to be. And, and that's a noble desire. In fact, God even tells us that we should pray that God's earth, God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come to reign on earth. That's a normal desire. But when the angel appeared that night and said, a savior is born the angel was not speaking of a new king of Judah. The angel was speaking of a baby that was born to be a savior of hearts. And we're hopeful that there will be a revolution, that then revival will follow. But God knows that there must be a revival and then revolution will follow as a natural result of that. Every good and great revolution has come on the heels of revival. Revival comes first. Revolutions, good ones, are the result, the natural consequence of revivals. And so hope for our dark hearts doesn't start with power from above, power from the top down. Rather, it starts with humility. It starts deep in the dark places, the darkest place of our hearts. Um, last week was not a good Sunday for me. For those of you who are watching at home, um, perhaps you were on the live stream. We have set up everything to do a live pre-show. And when we do that, I always have a backup recording ready to go so that if things aren't working well here, that one will go. And we had started the pre-show and everything was going well. So I deleted the backup so that the, what we were doing could keep going. And right at that time, right when I deleted that, so this was the only thing they started experiencing trouble. And Pastor Eric had preached late on Thursday to record the message for you, and then I had had to come in very early on Saturday to get it all edited and ready to go, and so a lot of work had been put into that, and then it just all came apart. And hopefully you were able to see the message, maybe you watched it later, you caught the on-demand version that we posted, um, but as you're watching, as I'm watching live, you know, I'm just like, it's messing up, and I'm just watching people drop off. They're not viewing because nobody views when it isn't working, you know? And I'm thinking, man, these people that we're trying so hard to connect with, they're, it's not working. And I was just so frustrated. And so um, slipped into the in-person gathering and I'm singing along uh, with the worship team and uh, singing about Jesus and I'm thinking about Christmas. And there in the back is Leah and uh, she's holding... Her, her baby girl, baby Eleanor, who's two months old now. And um, I'm just thinking about Christmas and Jesus coming as a baby. 
And as I, as I thought on that, as I molded over, I got to thinking, you know, there is so much that is out of my control, that no matter how hard I work, it doesn't matter how much I know, how smart I am, it's out of my control. That even if I make all of the right choices, which I don't, but even if I could make all of the right choices, there's so much that's outside of my control. And it is appealing to think if I could just have control and control my circumstances and control all of my decision-making and make all of the right choices, then everything would go well. And, and that's an illusion. But that wasn't an illusion for God. God is in control. And Christmas is the celebration of the God who is in control of all things, stepping out of heaven to be a man, come as one of us, as a baby. And a baby has no power, no agency, no influence, no control over anything. They depend upon their parents for everything. Imagine having the ability to have control of everything and setting that aside to come be born as a baby. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus coming in the most humble fashion possible as a baby born and placed in a manger. That's how Jesus arrives. Not with power and might, which he would display those later, but rather what he comes displaying is humility. And though it may not look like it, that's where our salvation lies. It's with a baby in a manger. When the angel told Joseph that the baby was going to be born, he also referred to him as a savior. But he gives another detail in Matthew 121. He says, and he shall save his people from their sins. That was the real need to be saved from our sins. The mistake that Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, made was he was looking for someone who could save him from the threat out there. And he wasn't trusting the Lord to save him from the threat in here. He was looking with power and might to overcome the enemies that were out there. And he missed out on trusting God to save him from the darkness in here. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus arriving the arrival of a humility, arrival of a humble Savior who has given hope, not just for these dark days and in these dark places, but has given hope for our dark, deceitful hearts. Remember when you were a kid on the, the playground and teams were going to be picked for, for basketball or kickball or, or whatever game? And based on who the team captains were who were going to do the picking or maybe who the first couple people who were picked, you knew which team you wanted to be on. You wanted to be on the team with your friends or you wanted to be on the team that you knew that they had the advantage, that that was going to be the better team. And maybe when the captains are trying to do who they're going to pick, maybe you pick me, pick me, pick me. Or maybe you're, you're trying to be a little bit more discreet and so you're looking at them and you're opening your eyes really big like, hey, pick me, pick me. The decision that Zedekiah made, the bad choice that he made is he was trying to find a way to be on the winning team to be on the side that was going to give him the most power and freedom. And you might have lived your life trying to 
constantly trying to get on the right side of history, trying to get on the winning side, trying to get on the side, trying to put yourself in a situation where you're gonna make the most money or you're gonna have the greatest amount of happiness. You're looking for something to, to navigate and control all of the circumstances that are out there. But that's not, that's not what you need. You don't need to overcome all of the, the opposition out there. You need to overcome the opposition that's in here. And that's what your sin is. That's what your deceitful, desperate heart is. It's what needs to be overcome in here. And Jesus didn't arrive to overcome with might and power all of the evil forces out there. Jesus arrived in humility to overcome the dark forces in here, in my Jesus came as a baby, not, not to go out there and conquer evil. He came as a baby because there was an evil in here in our hearts that he came to displace. Don't be distracted by the power and might of others. Don't be distracted by the fact that he's just an infant in the manger. That is the winning side. And Jesus wins. Jesus wins by winning back our.